Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone, on this podcast. Today, uh, we're going to do a weekly check-in, see how everyone's doing. Uh, we got a quick film news update before moving on to some what we've been watching. We have a new brief segment we're going to call Weekly Plugs, and then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be talking about Relic, the new horror film that's available right now uh, for rent on Video On Demand. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. So a couple updates from last week. First of all, Jeff Kanata, you had a birthday, did you not? I did. I did have a birthday on Saturday. I did. Highest first. Happy birthday. Thank you. Your first uh, pandemic birthday. Uh, (laughs) Everybody remembers their first pandemic birthday. (laughs) What was it like, Jeff? Uh, What was it like having a birthday like during the pandemic? Well, it was, I can imagine a lot of people listening have had birthdays during this four or five month period that we're all living through. So I don't think it's a, a unique situation, but it certainly is. Maybe like 40 to 50% of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't think birthdays are evenly skewed throughout the year, but well, that's, no, a, that's that, a statistics I that's question. How, I think that's how they are. I think that's how it works. Do you really? Also, no, I'm just, uh, also I got my percentages wrong, but anyway, Jeff. <laughs> uh, whatever the case, I had whatever one and it was, uh, it was, it, it was strange, admittedly, that you can't really do anything. I mean, I'm at an age where, you don't really do much on your birthday anyway, but it was sure. nice. Uh, it was nice. My my wife's parents uh, offered to take my children for the night, both of them. So we actually had a, an evening without any children at all. And we were able to go to get takeout at a, a place that we really, really like that we never get a chance to go to because it's really far. You know, we do these check-ins and... Uh, <laughs> Well, we do these check-ins and you say, Jeff, how's Los Angeles? And I speak as a representative of Los Angeles. But the truth is, I don't (laughs) really live in Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles County, but I live in the San Fernando Valley. I live live north of what everyone would consider to be the main part of Los Angeles, north of Hollywood, north of uh, downtown Los Angeles. So I I live on the outskirts. Los Angeles is a big, sprawling metropolis that is... Hard to pin down as any. There's not one place right. that is Los Angeles. Are, are but you I certainly, like Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jeff? <laughs> yes, I'm even farther actually than Brad Pitt. I'm uh, I'm in Woodland Hills, so I'm 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 a ways away. But I still feel like I'm in Los Angeles, especially when there's no right, right. pandemic time. I'm constantly in Hollywood. I'm constantly driving all around. I'm going to downtown. I got you're constantly in L.A. You're just constantly. You know, I was working places and going all the time. Uh, but since th- this has started the last several months, I've been in Woodland Hills. You know, I've been in my house. I've been in a two mile radius of my house. Uh, you know, I would go on runs. I would go on bike rides with my kid. Uh, I, would, I would make short jaunts to the nearest Ralph's grocery store and Trader Joe's. But that that was the extent of it. And. I didn't even realize how disconnected I was mm-hmm. from L.A., really, L.A. Uh, then on my birthday, when we finally, because the kids were gone and my wife and I were like, let's go to our favorite ramen place. In fact, I was inspired by Tan Popo uh, because uh, ever since watching that movie for review on the show, I've been craving really good ramen. And sadly, in Woodland Hills... Uh, I have not found decent ramen uh, oh. anywhere near here. Um, 
but there is a place on Melrose that I really love in, in LA. Um, that is my favorite ramen that I've ever had. And so we don't really get there very often, especially with kids now. So it was an opportunity to go get takeout ramen from there. There's a really amazing cake place there. We also got slices of this incredible cake that was nearby there. Anyway, so uh, it was an occasion to drive down to Melrose, which was, you know, ground zero for a lot of the uh, protesting and rioting that happened uh, a while back. And, and I just haven't been there in many, many months. And I got to say, guys, it was surreal. Oh, yeah. Surreal. I can imagine. Driving. First of all, no traffic. <laughs> <laughs> we got there in like 10 minutes. It was insane. It was insane to drive down La Brea and Hollywood Boulevard and Melrose Avenue without traffic, like just breezing your way through those places. Unbelievable. I'd never, ever in my life have I experienced that. And that, that was strange. And the number of businesses that are boarded up or for lease places that are for lease that are just it's like a ghost town down there. It is mm -hmm. creepy and you really do feel like, oh, this is that thing in the movies when there's an apocalypse and <laughs> you drive through the, you know, this is Will Smith yep, playing yep. golf on the on the battleship with his dog walking down Main Street in the middle let, of the day. Let me tell you, Jeff, like a week before I left New York, I had to take the subway in to go to my office and terrifying. It is a yeah. terrifying experience to go through a city that is full of life that is instead like completely vacant of people and all boarded up. And it was so, so weird. Uh, I have to ask you though, Jeff, what did you do with the ramen? Did you bring it home or did yeah. you guys like eat it yeah, right there? Eat because the takeout ramen no. is uh, rough. Yeah, takeout ramen is rough. Uh, I tell you, it was still glorious, but we, yeah, we <laughs> took it home. Uh, we drove all the way back home, but again, got home very fast, okay. <laughs> but we took it home and, and put it in our own bowls and then ate outside in the backyard and oh, in the nice, nice weather. Yeah. Nice touch to put it in the old, own bowls. Cause they give it to you in the plastic bowls usually. Yeah. Oh, and no, it no, just no, doesn't, no, no. It doesn't feel right to that, eat it in the plastic. That old dude at the beginning of Tampopo would have <laughs> smacked me in the back of the head if I had done Correct. that. I'm I'm so glad you internalized this, Jeffrey. That's very oh, yeah. uh, heartwarming. I, this is I the tapped, entire point of Tempopo, yes. I tapped the meat and I <laughs> communed with it. Mm. You know, you always want to tap your meat before you uh, do anything. That's what sure. I found. Yep. I found. Yep. That's uh, a good lesson for life. Tap that meat. <laughs> uh, anyway, Jeff, I'm so glad to hear that you were able to find some joy in the current situation. So hope you had a happy birthday. Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, Thanks for sharing that with us, but uh, glad you're doing okay. Yeah, hanging in there, um, Oh, so on last week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, which, by the way, I think is rapidly becoming just uh, Jeff's descent into madness, <laughs> and to a lesser uh, extent our own. I just, you, you ask, so I share. I ask, oh, do, do you hear me blaming you, Jeff? I'm just <laughs> explaining what's happening. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay, so last week's episode of the podcast, Jeff, you described a issue that you were having in which... Um, uh, mice or a rat was in in, in your house. I mean, yeah, first of all, I think I it was ask, mice. Like, I think it was uh, mice. Yeah. Uh, any update on the mice situation? Yes, uh, a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful development. I believe we have. It's been several nights now with no mice droppings, no mice damage. I think we have successfully figured out how they were entering the house and have successfully blocked that entrance. Nice. Uh, so yeah, and we had dudes out to the house with that 
that foam stuff that you, I'm sure you guys have seen that like crazy foam stuff they mm -hmm. spray into holes and it hardens ugly as hell super ugly but now it's all around the sides of my house and like behind the dishwasher and underneath the stove and so I think we boarded up um, you know we blocked things for a while and the mice weren't coming and we figured like well that's a good sign and then so we you know have foamed all those those orifices um after after you tap your meat, you want to foam your orifices. That's that's the takeaway this week, I think. And then is... uh, you want to pass the yolk from mouth to mouth. Basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Uh, anyway, we're not so... going to talk about that part of the night. The right, three so lessons I... of the slash of <laughs> Yeah, so it's all it's in our show notes every week. Um, the, so the, it's good news. It's good news. I, I I can't say that they have the problem has been eliminated, but certainly the symptoms of the problem that were most traumatic and disruptive to our lives have been curtailed so uh that is that is already a win you know great i'm so glad to hear that you know i have yeah. a little bit of an update this week Ooh. um which is that uh i am forming a covid bubble with someone and more details about this will be released in the future <laughs> Um, <laughs> you guys will formally announce. There will uh, be a nightly we'll podcast. Formally announce our bubble later, yeah. but yeah, I'm Your forming a publicist COVID bubble. will be a show uh, revealing <laughs> pictures of the bubble. Yep, yep. Um, we we are gonna kind of uh, be very specific about which outlet we're gonna choose to unveil the oh, bubble. Of course, here. why wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, people <laughs> and us have both been asking. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, going to be so in yeah. the New York Times bubble section. Uh, it's really high profile. <laughs> really high New York profile. New Times should have a bubble section yeah. these days. So uh, essentially what happened is the space across the alley from our house. Um, uh, Devinder, you've been to my house before, yeah, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. So you know basically we're surrounded on either side by a bunch of townhouses, mm -hmm. right? It's and it's literally like ten feet away is like how far away like door to door ten feet, and um, one of those townhouses became available for rent, and I uh, started. There's a couple people I knew who were potentially looking for a place to live, and so uh, I pitched it to a couple people as like, hey, here's um, uh, an idea. Like maybe we could bubble up, and <laughs> lo and behold. One of my friends accepted that offer. So we're going to be... This is madness, by the way. But go on. Go on, Dave. Um, but You yeah, put an we're... ad out for Bubble Friends? <laughs> I didn't but put also, an ad... you have to live right next door to me. So I, <laughs> this all better go well. Uh, yep. No, for sure. It's definitely definitely a risk. Um, but yeah, this is a friend uh, who, uh, like, had, you know, per our conversation about bubbles, you know, that are very... <laughs> Enlightening conversation in which I compared it to being a YouTube collaboration. Um, this friend, I love the idea of your your ad. Me, me, a very germ conscious film lover. Wait, wait, wait you looking say my for ad. conversation. You, uh, <laughs> willing to share your bubble with me and only me. Interested? Call immediately. Dave, you're recreating the influencer house thing that is happening in LA. So, congrats! Kind like, of, you really are of, doing yeah. the YouTube thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not going to make a YouTube channel, but yes. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, and uh, so one of one of my friends, and it wasn't like I wrote an ad, Jeff. Okay, stop being su stop being such a silly goose, Jeff. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, and so we're we're gonna bubble up, and it's gonna be. Uh, it's going to be cool because uh, we're good friends and uh, we're, you know, it's just going to be like, I, here's what I think. You know, David Brooks wrote this article 
not too long ago in the Atlantic about the nuclear family, and he's about he, the article is basically about how the nuclear family is a historical accident. Basically, like there's a 50 year time period in human history when the nuclear family was a big deal. And for hundreds and thousands of years before that, it wasn't a big deal. Like it was, you'd live with extended family or you'd live with like a commune of people, basically. Um, there, you'd be in a hunter-gatherer society, you know, like whatever. Uh, and then for about like 50 years, the nuclear family was a big deal. Right. right. Anyway, I think that, and his, his article is basically like, we should, this is pre-COVID. He was like, we should reconceptualize what we think of as the family because like mm. our current society is not built. For or you, you mean actually families. go back to the way things used to be before everybody cloistered off into the suburbs, basically, in their own single family homes? Like it's it's pretty much that. Yeah, I think it's yeah. more just like just like be willing to open your mind to like what the possibility of a family can be. Sure, sure. you know, you're saying and family I, that is family that isn't defined by blood. Yes, absolutely correct. You know, because family used to mean mean multiple generations in the same home. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. And yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, I think that like it, with the new COVID thing, you know, I don't want to get too philosophical about it, but uh, even though that's exactly what I'm doing, but um, but I you think literally that, have like, decided these people are your family. Just pop in, <laughs> just pop in now. Like if there's Dave, a pop in rule, it's great. <laughs> Dave is 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 the single white female uh, <laughs> a- antagonist. <laughs> he doesn't even well, know it the other people are like yeah we decided uh we would hang out with these folks that live nearby us once and now they're calling us their family and they're expecting us to be over every night it's very disconcerting well you know jeff i, I i'm i'm fine with you making fun of me because we've been friends for a long time and also <laughs> uh it was your birthday recently but I happen to think that you know uh, I, I'm uh, I'm pretty serious about this. I mean, I think that like you you, you were no, talking about is, like this starts as uh, let's all hang out and be be in, in a in a germ <laughs> bubble, and it ends up with uh, Dave's wearing your face as a mask. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jeff. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for those positive thoughts on, uh, on what's happening over in Seattle for me. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. No, no. So no, you, no. It's okay. It's okay. We can move on. We no, no. I, on. I, I genuinely want to hear this. I, I want to hear this. You, you, uh, you have you had the first time where you guys have come over and swapped germs yet? Uh, no, no. Um, just it's, invite it's, them in. Would you like to breathe my recycled air? <laughs> Welcome. All right, guys, we're gonna move on. Jake W writes in slash request gmail.com. Um, weird that this is the first thing that gets me to write into the show, but Jeff does not need to own a cat. He can borrow one, maybe from a friend or my local pet shelter. True, uh, true. Yeah. Uh, my, my local pet shelter lets you foster a cat for a while. Hope your mouse problem goes away soon. Now, Jeff, we forwarded you this email about the idea of borrowing a cat, which seemed to me pretty logical. Like, it doesn't seem like a completely it? wild idea. It's a win-win. Um, but, but you uh, didn't seem super receptive to it. I got this from a number of people that made this suggestion, which, forgive me, I think it is a well-intentioned and good-hearted suggestion made made in good faith from a lot of people, uh, much like Dave's last conversation. Uh, and yet uh, I had a similar response in that I, I find it to be insane. It's an insane idea to me that I would somehow borrow a cat for a while. Like I'm going to bring a cat into a home with a 
four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I'm expecting to have that be a temporary thing and not I, completely I wonder, freak well, my yeah, kids that, out? That, that is certainly dangerous. I wonder, though, Jeff, do you do you know how big cats are? Like, I wonder if you've seen a cat before, because you're definitely <laughs> maybe, acting maybe, like Jeff's you're bringing whole, a 50-pound dog into this house. Yeah. Jeff's no, I'm not whole worried conception about of cats come from the Beethoven movies, basically. <laughs> my, my conception of everything comes from the Beethoven movies. It's the most... <laughs> Because the Beethoven movies are canonical in Jeff. <laughs> canonical, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm not worried about them like uh, injuring my kids. I'm worried about my kids falling in love with them. Oh, yeah. And then me well, saying, no, they only here for a short time. Uh, sorry. And then my kids being, you know. They have to learn loss sometime, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Take away but the then cats. Couldn't you, couldn't you then get them a cat, though, if they really yeah. enjoyed it? I don't but want to have. <laughs> point of this story is that I, there's animals in my house that I don't want. Let, let me tell currently... you, Jeff, the nice thing about having cats out and kids is that uh, the kids will just play with the cats. Like it is, it is like free distraction time for them to just like hang out and play together. So that is, that's offloading parent time. That means you can, you can check Twitter. You're, you're you can telling check Twitter some for sort of, five minutes at some a time. Sort of, <laughs> some sort of cat babysitter is what I'm oh, yeah. thinking about. <laughs> Completely. Uh, well, that is tempting, I have to admit, but I, I, I'm I, reminded of a story I told my children uh, a number of times. I, maybe you guys have heard of it. Was it the, the I don't know, how does it go? The, I, I, I got a fly to catch the fly. I got a frog right, to catch right. the frog. I got a, th- like that. It, it doesn't work because it's just a cat. It's, it's madness. <laughs> it's the whole point is that I don't want animals in my house, and people are like, you know, what the solution to having animals in your house are get other animals in your house. And like, I don't want that. I don't want the animals in my life, house. Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we tried. We tried. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I I'm glad it. that your uh, rodent problem has since resolved itself. Well, Before- I don't know that for ch- sure, but it's, <laughs> it's 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 an uptick in uh, sanity. That's for sure. Before we get to what we've been watching, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, we've discussed this issue before on the Slash Filmcast before, uh, but we learned this week that Netflix is now letting people watch things faster or slower with new playback speed controls. You can stream up to 0.5 times slower or 1.5 times faster. Now, only on Android right now. Only on Android, right. So you can't, I couldn't do it on like my Apple TV or anything like that. Nope. Um, and they said they are working on testing iOS and web but still no no like TV interface. Now, I was originally very resistant to this. We've already we've obviously had like many chats about um w- the morality, the ethic, whatever you want to call it <laughs> of speeding up, slowing down podcasts. Uh I mean, I would I, like I, to I point out I don't think we've ever come out against slowing down. Right? Oh, okay. Well, well, you know, in, slowing in down case, is a different issue, right? Slowing down is is a different issue in my opinion. Y- because it's like an accessibility thing, in your opinion? Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, I don't think anybody's slowing down a podcast for any other reason than they have a need to slow it down. I, yeah. I, I think. I, I mean, you're a sound I, drunk. I, I have a That's terrible confession is. to make, guys. Okay, <laughs> which is here we which go. Which is not that uh, I I don't listen to podcasts sped up, but I have started using the remove silence feature. Oh yeah, on my podcast. Player. But that, that's that feels different. I guess it that could remove like you know useful pauses, but. I do that as well because it is it, it compresses things, but you still get you know everybody's tone. Everything still sounds the same, basically. I just want to um, I, I want to describe my emotional reaction to this news about the Netflix <laughs> thing. Is I, I started being like, well, 
really sad, you know, disposable entertainment culture we live in. People can just speed it up and charge through yeah. it no matter what. Jeff, we just had that whole talk a couple weeks ago on the podcast about how, you know, people spend years, years working on these movies and TV shows and we just shit, cram it all down like we're yeah. speed eating something. <laughs> yes. You know? And, um, and this is yet another sign of how entertainment is becoming more and more disposable. Um, and uh, But then I read this article at TheVerge.com, which describes the news. And uh, I think this is very much worth keeping in mind here. Um, the, the article notes, quote, both the National Association of the Deaf and the National Federation of the Blind commended Netflix on adding the playback features. Since captions are slowed down and also sped up to keep in time with the images on screen, it can help deaf people who might prefer the captions at a slightly slower speed, according to Howard A. Rosenblum, CEO of the National Association of the Deaf. On the other side... Many people in the blind community can understand and appreciate audio played at a much faster pace than what might be comfortable for most sighted people, said Everett Bacon, a board member on the National Federation of the Blind. Uh, end quote. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. It's like, hey, this is – you can think of it primarily as an accessibility feature, I think. And um, accessibility feature uh, features can often have benefits uh, for uh, – able-bodied people you know like i think closed captioning is a great example of an accessibility feature that like i use all the time so i don't mm -hmm. need to crank up my my volume so while i, I i'm not saying that the, the netflix thing is not a sign of the you know <laughs> culture's inexorable slide yeah. towards thinking of sure, entertainment I mean, as, as i'm sure the, that's those. why netflix did it that's true they're yeah. like let's think about the the blind community that can hear things better and faster. I don't think that's what happened. But also, it's, it's I'm lovely sure that, that was that part. Worked. I'm sure that was part of it. But yeah, uh, I, I think you're. I think you're right that like maybe it allows. There's people who want to burn through this stuff faster, and mm -hmm. they want to help facilitate it. But we, again, we've I talked think, about this before, by the way. Like these buttons. Have you forgotten what was on your VHS player and what was on your DVD player? Is they had slowdown options. They had speed up options. Like there were similar things. Yeah, but I don't recall it uh, re replicating the sound or like right, keeping right, the right. sound at the same pitch, for instance, which is something yeah. that this does. So uh, I, I basically I'm saying I went from this being a very sad thing about our culture to actually maybe it's kind of a happy thing for our culture. So um, good on Netflix for adding that feature. And uh, I think uh, people of a wide variety of abilities will benefit from it. Right. So. Uh, like my, my feelings on these things really comes down to is it affecting me? Is it, you know, this right. new feature, is it, it going to make my life actually worse? No, it's not. It's just people who prefer to do these things. I wouldn't do this to a movie, probably. Um, but, you know, some, some people may. I, I, I think the funny thing is, it is probably the perfect way to watch a Netflix TV show. Think about <laughs> it. Like half, like half of those shows are just treading water and wasting time so what better way to binge on the next season of umbrella academy is to just burn through the slow parts right i do think uh, there is an implication you know people filmmakers have expressed concern about this feature right like, right filmmakers make things to be watched and listened to in a specific way with a specific pacing and There's this an will disrupt editor that. who yeah. is his agonizing yeah. over every frame yep. to find out what the perfect pause is before you hear the next line to make it land in a specific way. And all due respect to this organization for the blind, 
listen, I, like I said, I have no problem with people that need something slowed down or that need the ca captions to go slower or whatever. Any of that, obviously, I think is we should do as much accessibility stuff as possible. I have a hard time believing that uh, simply because you're blind and you're capable of listening to it faster, it somehow is an accessibility issue to let you just consume it faster. Like the, the, I, I would think if I was blind, if, if, and God knows I'm getting there closer every day. Uh, the, the, uh, the idea of not listening to it at the pace that the filmmaker wanted to, I, I, I don't think that that would be something that I would want. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like the speeding up is the, is the issue for me. And I, I understand and I respect the, um, the accessibility side of it. And I think it's wonderful that you can slow things down. You can make things clearer for people that may have a harder time reading captions fast or whatever the case, slowing down is not my issue. It's the get it in faster, go faster, faster, speed up, um, you know, break the, the rhythm that was established by the creator. I, I just don't, I don't think there's any real reason that that's better. Well, let us know what you out there think listeners, uh, slash filmcast at gmail.com where you can write in, uh, will you be using this feature? If so, why? We'd be interested in hearing from you. But uh, it is a feature that's going to be out there, and it will probably be rolling out uh, wider in the days to come. Hey, everyone. I just want to talk about how I've been dealing with my own stress and anxiety, something we're all dealing with these days. And that's with Feels, which is premium CBD that's delivered right to your doorstep. It naturally helps you reduce stress, anxiety, pain, sleeplessness, any of those things, uh, I use feels in situations where I know I may need a little help relaxing. So that's maybe before a big interview. When we used to travel, it was really helpful for that. And I definitely will be taking it on future trips. Unlike the stuff you find at a lot of bodegas and drugstores, it's really high quality CBD. And it's really easy to take too. You just have to place a few drops under your tongue and you'll feel something pretty quickly. Finding your right dose is definitely a thing you'll have to learn over time, but Feels also offers real human support to help you figure out which dosage you may actually want. And best of all, it works naturally, so you don't have a high or hangover or addiction to worry about. So I'd recommend joining the Feels community to get Feels delivered right to your door every month. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. And I'm just going to read a disclaimer here, which I think everybody should know. Representations regarding the efficacy and safety of feels have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA only evaluates food and drugs, not supplements like this product. This product is not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. Feels has really helped me deal with anxiety in many ways, and I hope it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Let's move on to what we've been watching this week. This week, I had a chance to watch a movie called Speed Cubers. Jeff Kanata, it sounds like you watched this movie as well. I did. I bawled my way through it. I, uh, I was like ugly crying through Speed yeah. Cubers. Why? Uh, so how did you, did you, because uh, I, I tweeted and I made a video about it, but how did you hear about it? Did you uh, see it on Netflix pop up on your home screen? or? I like did. What? I think I got a tweet from someone else saying, uh, you got to watch this. Yeah. I actually went. I, I used a lot of recommendations this week from from people I didn't even know uh, to determine what I watched this week, and um, 
I, you know, this is the kind of thing that I'm already fascinated by. We've talked many times on the show about, you know, like subgroups of subgroups, like niches of a niche, a real very specific category of of uh, of community that's super passionate about a very obscure thing. I love that. I love looking at these communities of people who like dedicate their lives to some skill that is so such a tiny margin of humans even pay attention to it, but they are obsessed. And I love that. You know, I, this is of course about people that solve Rubik's cube uh, puzzles as fast as possible, uh, mostly young people and the competition that arises out of it. And I love the fact that even when we get to the biggest competition, the world championships, there's like 30 people in the audience, you know, it's, this is a niche, right? Uh, And I love that. I love, Anything that takes a look at those subgroups uh, and and those cultures that are built up around the tiniest little uh, focus of a hobby, but really what this this documentary is, which is by the way very short, I think it's less than fifty minutes. It's a, a story about these two boys, these these friends that are. It's an extraordinary, heartwarming, life affirming tale um, about just being a good person being a really good person. And uh, I was ugly crying through it, uh, like like throughout, just bawling my head off. And I, I really recommend it to anybody to because it, it, it will make you want to be a better person. It, it's just about parents who have to deal with uh, a child with autism and coming to that child rather than asking that child to come to them, you know, uh, uh, metaphorically speaking. If finding a way into that child's inner life and connecting with that child in a way they didn't think was possible. Um, my daughter has brain damage and, um, you know, it really, it really affected me. This beautiful tale of these parents finding a way in. And then this boy, uh, this, uh, this, this champion <laughs> speed cuber who has all the records and then along comes this other kid who breaks all his records and they yet, despite that, can be friends. You can treat him with respect and dignity and love. And um, I just found it to be an extraordinary tale uh, that made me want to be a better person. So I, I highly recommend Speed Cubers. It's great. Uh, it's like a 40-minute long documentary. It... it lands what it's trying to land it gets out i if anything it's this is one of those movies i thought it was a little too short i'm like i want to know more about this world of speed cubing you know (laughs) and there's people who solve rubik's cubes with their feet you know and they don't even see them in the documentary you're right i'm like dude i want to see more of the feet people (laughs) um the uh there's like four by four five by five cubes that that are you know uh, much more difficult than the three by threes and i'm like i want to learn more about that you know um so it really introduced me to this world in a way that made me want to learn more which i think is the mark of a great documentary it's kind of Uh, like almost only tangentially about speed cubing you know right speed cubing is the excuse to talk about these two people really you know i think that's right i think that's right um a great analogy someone on letterbox said i'm sorry i don't know exactly who but i think someone on letterbox said this is like watching king of kong but everyone in the movie is nice yeah (laughs) it's like uh kind of a sports rivalry but imagine if the two people who are rivals loved each other you know yeah it's like oh that's so heartwarming and yeah it's it made me cry it's it's really great. I would really recommend you check it out, even if you're not into speed cubing, which 
the vast majority of people I know aren't. You should still watch this movie. It's called. It's actually called the Speed Cubers, I believe. So uh, the they Speed stole Cubers. the the from L- Flores Lava and used it here, which is really <laughs> nice of them to do. Yeah, um, yeah. The, yeah. The, especially in this era we're living in, this the sort of the 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 Trump doctrine that says you know you either win and insult everyone else along the way, or you're nothing. Right? Winning is everything. Where I was raised, and I'm trying to raise my kids. With that old adage that says it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, right? We've completely, completely abandoned that as a American culture. This whole, like, how you play the game is important because people are just like, no, cheat, screw your buddy, do whatever you need to do as long as you win. It's become that, you know, just win baby mentality in this country. And here is this view of a very small insular community where the top two people in the world at it go, no, it's, we want to win. We're trying to win, but it's also how we do it. It's also being decent, being good yeah. to each other uh, and, and coming at it with love and, uh, and gratitude. It's, it's a lesson out of this highly unlikely little universe. It's a lesson that can be applied, I think, to, to everything we do. The movie is The Speed Cubers. Check it out on Netflix. Uh, I had a chance to watch a movie on Netflix called Tread. It's Friday night. Uh, open up Netflix, and uh, this movie gets served to me. It's uh, uh, There's a description. It's called, This documentary reconstructs the pivotal moments that drove a man on a rampage to destroy a small town with a bulldozer he fortified in secret. Oh, this is the bulldozer guy movie. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, in this movie, I have been meaning to see this. I'm like, man, Netflix really gets me that it served this this one straight up to me. Would it would it be um, great if like there was just like a visual representation of the algorithm and just like winked at you and yeah, it's like <laughs> thanks, buddy, you got it, you got it, Netflix. <laughs> this movie is directed by a man named Paul Solit, who I interviewed on yeah. uh, the Slash Filmcast like many many years ago. I want to say, uh, yeah, this was like. I interviewed this guy 11 years ago. He had made a movie called Grace, uh, which had premiered at Sundance, and it was very good. It was Mm -hmm. a really great low-budget horror film. And uh, he made this documentary in, like, 2019. It's called Tread. And uh, this documentary is awesome. I just need to say it's very, very good. Uh, I I, I had never heard of this story. Did you guys hear about this story? Yes, I remember when it happened. I remember that, yeah. This was being thrown all around social media. Like, it was a crazy, yeah. crazy story. Yeah. So this was on in 2004, a professional welder in Granby, Colorado, drove a fortified bulldozer <laughs> through town. And uh, it was an international news story for a day. And then I think Ronald Reagan died the day afterwards. I and remember so that then, it was like, um, everybody was like, it's falling down. It's falling down in real life. It's falling down. It's the... Because Falling Down had yeah. come out before that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, and the movie is really compelling, and I think it's also like a pretty great uh, allegory for the Trump era. I mean, I- I'm not going to go into detail, but suffice to say, um, this guy felt very, very aggrieved, and he was very disturbed, and uh, the, he he recorded all these tapes explaining why he was about to do what he did. Uh, and the movie uses those tapes to kind of reconstruct the events leading up to uh, this fateful day. 
I mean, what he did is is. I want to say it's incredible, but that like it it sounds like I'm praising him in some way. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it is it, it is a Breaking Bad level uh, scenario, right? Yeah. It, well, it, it thank is, God he went there instead of AR-15. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I, I mean, there was a, a, a you, you got to watch this movie, Jeff, because it's not <laughs> it's not quite that simple, right? Like, yeah, there was a. Um, uh, I will say that it is it, it was a monumental task of engineering what he was able to accomplish um, because he he essentially designed a machine that no one could stop <laughs> and people tried like shooting at it and throwing grenades at it you know like they did everything they could to stop this thing and anyway it, it, so it, it is a fascinating documentary that kind of shows you how this guy got into i would say a vicious circle kind of like a toxic cycle with the people around him you guys know and i think we've all been in this situation maybe we are in this situation (laughs) with each other on the podcast right now yeah um but you 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 know how some people like sometimes they get in a relationship with someone where it, it becomes toxic and like nothing can redeem it like n- like things that <laughs> things in that, that relationship are, now dave thing, I mean, things I said that I was are sorry i didn't let you talk about your germ circle i'm sorry things that are uh meant to be kind gestures basically are interpreted in the worst possible way in bad faith right oh like, that's called marriage <laughs> uh but but, but it's, it, there's a situation where like no matter what the other person does it's the relationship is irredeemable the relationship is irredeemable. Uh, this guy basically had that kind of relationship with an entire town. And <laughs> wow. the movie examines, you know, the um, upsetting consequence of that. So oh boy. it's fascinating. And um, I, I mean, the, uh, you know, I, I've already, <laughs> people already know what happened. So it's I'm not going to give away anything. Like I've, I've already held back many of the details from the movie and I will continue <laughs> to hold them back. So I'm not going to say. Um, but I'll just say that the way in which they were able to convey what occurred, right? Um, I'm not going to reveal how they convey what occurred, but like the, obviously at some point they need to either reconstruct it themselves sure. or they need to use archival footage. They built to a show giant, what happened. They, they rebuilt the machine, didn't they? I'm not going to say amazing. what happens. I'm not going to say what happens. <laughs> you just have to watch the movie yourself, but I'll say the way in which they reconstructed the terrifying events were really, really uh, effective, really, I'm, really well done. I'm hyped for so. stop motion, Stop yeah. motion claymation animation. That's my guess. Uh, this does not sound like the feel-good hit that the Speed Cubers was to me. No, I actually watched these movies back-to-back, too. Um, and it's uh, that is- it really... No, those two movies really, I think, encapsulates the emotions we're all feeling right now. We want the Speed Cubers, but we feel tread. <laughs> yes. No, that- <laughs> So true. <laughs> That's so true, Devendra. That's so true. Okay. Um, finally, I just want to give a quick shout out to this. Um, so I have been hosting with relative frequency uh, these watch parties online. And both Amazon and Netflix in the United States have features now where you can watch a movie or TV show along with other people and chat together about it in a chat room. Um, and so... Oftentimes on my Twitter account, at Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chensky, I'll say, hey, I'm hosting an Amazon watch party, and I'll drop a link to the watch party, and a bunch of people will join, and we'll chat and have a good time, and um, that's happened a bunch of times. And I also actually created a site, a free website, 
uh, at jointhewatchparty.com. It's where I drop links whenever this happens. But uh, I recently did one of these for, uh, it was late at night, and I, I think I was editing a podcast or something. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw something on in the background, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something on that even if I need to stop watching it halfway through, it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> and so I chose Samsara, which is a movie by Ron Frick. And I don't know if you guys know yes. Samsara, but it's, it's basically the entire movie is just no dialogue. <laughs> it's just a bunch of high-res shots. Of you put on a beautiful from, screensaver while yeah, you worked. It, it's from high-res shots from things around the world, basically. And I couldn't stop watching. I watched it all the way to yeah. the end. Because <laughs> it is so incredibly well done. Uh, Ron Frick it, it basically has like extremely high res cameras shooting scenes that like feel like they open up your conception of what planet Earth can be mm-hmm. or what planet Earth is, I should say. So, Samsara is great. It's on Prime Video. Check it out. But I also got so into this. I was like, oh my gosh, that was such a compelling watching experience. I got the Blu-ray for Baraka, which is his the predecessor movie for mm-hmm. that, which is also really impressive. And I just wanted to talk about it briefly because, uh, Devendra, I thought you'd appreciate this. Basically, uh-huh. um, Baraka was released on Blu-ray. It's, it was off, and it, on the Blu-ray cover, it's like eight, it's like you know, eight K remaster, right? And it, it's not an eight K <laughs> Blu-ray or anything, but it's right, using right. the eight K remaster. And I read the Wikipedia description of how they were able to generate this AK thing. And this is really fascinating. It says, following DVD releases, in 2007, the original 65-millimeter negative of Baraka was rescanned at 8K resolution with equipment designed specifically for Baraka at Photochem Laboratories. The automated 8K film scanner operating continuously took more than three weeks to finish scanning more than 150,000 frames, taking approximately 12 to 13 seconds to scan each frame, producing over 30 terabytes of image data in total. After a a 16-month-long digital intermediate process, including a 96 kilohertz 24-bit audio remaster by Stearns for the DT HD audio uh, soundtrack of the film. Oh, I, like, I like all these acronyms and yes. numbers. It's great. Uh, the result was re-released on DVD and Blu-ray disc at the, in October of 2008. At the time, project supervisor Andrew Oran described the reissue of Baraka as arguably the <laughs> highest quality DVD that has ever been made. Yeah. You know, all that work, they are good for like decades of film formats. Like they could just like, oh, oh, AK is here. Like we, we have, uh, let's just <laughs> drop Baraka. We got it. Let's just We're drop the first Baraka ones. into the AK. Um, yeah. And uh, the Blu-ray does in fact look incredible. Um, I do think that the movies are very similar. Uh, there are scenes that are even like in the same places mm-hmm. at, at the, in both movies. Uh, Baraka is definitely a more optimistic movie though. So I'm sorry I kind of, <laughs> Much more dark in its depiction of humanity, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I think they're both great. And if you're looking for something interesting to watch, uh, that it doesn't have any plot, it's just a bunch of Im- just a bunch of beautiful things to look at, things that are going to make you think, things that are going to make you appreciate your place in the world. Yeah, I would check out both of these movies. You, you know, uh, now is probably a great time to rewatch these movies or watch them for the first time too, because we we're trapped. We cannot. Yes. reach out and travel and touch these things like uh, this is why i love travel shows and i'm doing a big travel show binge again because i'm stuck at home like everybody else so yeah, yeah. Th- good good call dave i want to check these out again the movies are samsara and baraka check them out uh, samsara is on prime video it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor 
Lightstream. If you're carrying any credit card debt right now, you got to get out from under it. You got to get out from under it. I try to pay off my credit cards every single month. But if you have credit card debt, a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream can help you mark them paid in full. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that is exactly what they deliver. You can roll balances from multiple credit cards into one single monthly loan payment and get a low fixed interest rate, free up more of your money in your monthly budget. Say goodbye to your credit card bills and take even more control of your money with Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans. They have rates from just 5.95% APR with auto pay and there are absolutely no fees, which is huge, 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 huge. Just for listeners to the Slash Filmcast, apply now and get an additional rate discount to save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash the word filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50 auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. Devinder Hardo, what have you been watching this week? Oh, I checked out Black is King, which is Beyonce's uh, visual album, I guess. It re- it, this thing is so weird and so beautiful. So... Yeah, she is credited as directing this thing, um, you know, along with some other visual artists. This is a basically a short film based on The Gift, which was the sort of like off uh, the like album she released that was related to The Lion King. So sort of like, you know, the other album that came out alongside the Black Panther soundtrack. I think that was just the Black Panther soundtrack. Um, but it, it's this weird thing of her. It's a live action reinterpretation of the Lion King story um, and using like little bits of dialogue here. Like there's some James Earl Jones stuff. There's like some iconic lines, but it's also going back and back into like um, religious iconography and things that are centered around Africa and African cultures and, you know, ancient African religions. It is a very wild thing, but I think this is probably the most, um, you know the Lion King, probably not not the most like culturally respectable thing out there <laughs> when it comes to Africa and so many things and ripping off an idea from you know Japanese uh, cartoon as well. Uh, I, th- I think this is probably one of the most like culturally interesting things to happen from the Lion King, and I think this also kind of describes like why the hell Beyonce was in the Lion King live action remake to begin with, right? Like she, she didn't need that. She was barely in the movie, but I wonder if like part of it was just her negotiating like, okay, Disney give like, I'm, I'm going to tell my Lion King. And that's basically what this is. So this is a beautiful uh, series of videos and kind of like a broad sketch of a Lion King like story. But uh, it's it's amazing. I don't know if you guys have heard the gift. Um, like it's that was a really interesting album. Like it wasn't like a typical Beyonce thing because she brought in a whole bunch of other folks to make music that was sort of inspired by The Lion King. So I found that to be fascinating. This movie is just beautiful. Like this is lemonade level quality going on here of her making a grand statement about 
African culture and its place in the world and the beauty of it. So I'd highly recommend everybody go check this out right now. It would actually, I think, fit alongside the whole Samsara and Baraka thing because it is it is a beautiful thing. Like it's a it's a construction of beautiful images and things we've kind of never really seen before. So I I would highly recommend this. And to Can me, I it's incredible how, that Beyonce's uh, out there doing yeah, this. How yeah. do you consume Black is King? Like how do you actually view it's it? On, it's on Disney Plus. It's right there oh, yeah. at the top That's of the right. page. That's right, yeah. Disney Plus. Yeah. You, you okay. launch and there's a huge <laughs> banner at the top of the page. You just click that, you see the movie. It's great. Um yeah, this thing is astounding. It looks amazing too. Like, I, I think on any modern TV, this is going to be like to me. This feels almost like a spiritual successor to the whole idea of Samsara and Baraka, except it's trying to tell you know actual story in a very like um, roundabout way. I guess it is. It's amazing. Go check it out. It's it's a beautiful thing. I'm so glad she had the power to just make this thing. Like this is myth making by Beyonce, right? This is her thinking of. African stories and its place in the world, but also this is just her. Like this is Beyonce saying, "Hey, who else can do this right now? I'm the queen. You know, bow before me." So go watch Black is King. Black is King is on Disney Plus. Jeff Kanata, other than Speed Cubers, what else have you been watching this week? <laughs> it's the Speed Cubers to you, Dave. The, oh yeah, uh, good, good call, good call. Which again, everyone should watch, and yep. it will make you a better person. Um, I got a tweet. This week, actually, all three of us did uh, from Peter Miller. I don't know Peter, but Peter tweeted at us saying, "If you're looking for a really good sit, just 56 minutes, I recommend I Pastafari, a great documentary." I took Peter up on that. Um, I get one of the things that I find so frustrating about Twitter is that uh, I will, from time to time, get recommendations from listeners. And want to uh, find myself wanting to watch something. And I will go, oh, yeah, I saw that in my Twitter feed. Somebody sent me a recommendation. And I'll never be able to find it. I just just can't find it. It's just a terrible, terrible way to give me recommendations. Because the time I want to know about it, it's hard to find in my feed. I can't remember Have how, you considered using the bookmark or uh, heart feature on Twitter? I guess I should do that. I, I ha- There were times when I would... Um, like cut and paste or take screenshots or something. And then, you know, that's even in the heat of the moment. You're like, Ooh, that sounds interesting. But you're doing the rest of your Twitter feed. And I just, I don't know. I'm bad at that. You could also just heart or, or bookmark them. It's, it's built into the the thing. But then I've hearted and bookmarked. uh, And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll try that. I'll try that. Anyway, the reason (laughs) I'm saying this is there was this, this perfect storm of events that led the moment that I needed to watch something with that tweet coming in. So it was uh, one of those things where I was like, okay, I'll watch this. Uh, I actually had to pony up money. I had to rent it, but I did. And thank you, Peter, because uh, I Postafari is a documentary I enjoyed. Uh, I don't think it's a, the speed cubers level, but it is, um, it was entertaining. The idea is there is a religion called Postafari. That clearly started as a parody. Oh yeah, uh, but is make many people have heard of this. This is the this is the flying spaghetti monster. Yeah. Yes, yeah. early two thousands, everybody heard about it. If you were on, you know, AOL Instant Messenger, you heard about the flying pasta monster. 
Um, basically the idea that the, the, this is spaghetti monster. It's like, you know, if you tell me there's an invisible man in the sky controlling all events, I tell you there's an invincible flying pasta monster in the sky controlling events. What's the difference? Well, this documentary examines people that have taken this to its logical conclusion, actually going to court to attempt to be recognized as an actual religion, wearing colanders on their heads as religious headgear, asking for their passport photos and driver's licenses to be taken with their religious headgear on uh, because there are exemptions for religious headgear uh, for people who have that as part of their belief system. Um, because, it, you know, you're not able to ha wear headgear or a hat of any kind when you get those photos taken uh, to have it be used on an official government document. Uh, and to be fair, most of this movie takes place and examines stuff that is not in the United States. There is some United States stuff in this documentary, but most of it is examining Germany, the Netherlands, uh, other places where people are using this religion as a way to challenge these exceptions to the norms. And I find it to be brilliant, uh, insightful. There's a, an entire section of this film that kind of compares, you know, it talks about what the standard for what a religion is and why we should respect religion and why, uh, you know, having religious institutions be tax exempt, for example, is a good thing. And then it shows like why that is absolutely not the case. Uh, <laughs> and I, I love it. I'm not, I'm not a fan of organized religion at all. Uh, and I find the Pastafari religion to be in my opinion, objectively the best religion, uh, because it is the only religion I know of that straight up says, don't be a douchebag. <laughs> it says, hey, if there's anything you're considering doing in my name that's bad to anybody, don't do it. Like, literally, that's their doctrine is don't blame it on me if you want to do something <laughs> bad to somebody. Uh, and uh, and it's um, I find this to be. Insight, insightful and um, like a like a scalpel to to belief, right? Jeff, it's are you a Pastafarian now? I kind of want to be. Yeah, I mean, other than I the fact that hat. I don't want to, like, I, I don't want to be hiding any... the hat right now. So, yeah. yeah, well, it's just messing up my hair is the problem. <laughs> um, I find this the, the document documentary to kind of uh, outline the idea behind this in such a smart way, in the sense that it is not straight up saying, hey, these people are parodying all of religion. In fact, they explicitly say they are not. They explicitly say that is not our goal here. Mm -hmm. But it is that even that is a parody of the religion, right? That it is such a brilliant strategy to show how ridiculous it is to have this nonsense part of ingrained in our laws. Right. Like the idea that Somebody can go, I have a religion now, and therefore I don't have to pay taxes. You know, somebody that can, these, these televangelists who are flying jets that they paid for with tax-free money that they scammed from people. It's, it's pretty amazing. And then you have these people in court saying, well, Pastafarianism isn't that. <laughs> and they go, okay, why? Yep, and they go, well, yeah. it's not yeah. serious and not this and not that. And it's like, let's, let's well, not, I can show yeah. Look I can at show a lot you of other a, recent religions. Yeah. Yeah. I can show you a number of like, there's nothing yeah. 
There is nothing to differentiate it. When it comes right down to it, there is nothing to differentiate it. Other than and maybe think, like time, right? Yeah. Other than time. Exactly. And it's funny, you know. it's funny like yeah. what would happen with time, by the way, is because uh, you can think of like a lot of other religions that have started out with this idea of like, hey, just don't be a dick. That's 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 what we are, right? Fast forward hundreds, you know, of years, maybe oh, thousands yeah. of years. There, there's a war somehow. Like this. <laughs> right. In 500 years, there will be but the Pastafarian 500 years, war. Pastafarians are are murdering people who aren't converting to Pastafari. <laughs> yes. I think is really where yes. this is heading, Jeff. Well, perhaps. That's but just I, humanity, I think if, Jeff. Come on. If you saw their, uh, I think if you saw their their doctrine, it's a it's pretty funny. It's basically like, you know, it's it's basically saying straight up, don't don't do any of that. You know, yeah. like if. Are you mad at somebody uh, worshiping a different God than me? Don't be. We're all nonsense. You know, like that's in the it's 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 pretty great. Um, I, lo- I I happen to really love it. And I think the the documentary does a great job of sort of laying all that out in a really cogent way. And uh, I recommend I Pastafari. I watched it. Um, boy, I, I don't remember. I think it was on on, on iTunes. It was like six yeah. bucks to rent. I, I enjoyed it. I'll check this out. Like, honestly, I was also mean to watch uh, Hail Satan recently, too, because kind of covering similar yeah, territory. Similar, similar territory, yeah. yeah. Uh, Hail Satan's available on Hulu, by the way. Mm-hmm. But Jeff, uh, yeah, iPostafari I is available to rent for $5, or you can buy for for $8. Right. Um, but that that uh, extra $3, you weren't like, you didn't want to roll the dice on that one, huh? <laughs> I don't. Why, why would, do I want to own things, Dave? I'm in a post-ownership world, baby. I thought that only referred to physical things. Yeah, but like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're anyway. not really owning it. You're just giving yourself the license to watch it. Yeah, you're giving you yourself the license to watch it anytime you want. But I uh, just don't. I, it, 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 there, it's, there's always something else that needs to be watched. You it's, know? It's, it's actually really true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably would roll my dice and do the purchase on this one, though. I, um, I do the purchases because I want to support. Like the the people who are still yeah, remember releasing how you're killing now. cinema, Jeff? Yeah, remember Jeff, how you're killing cinema? This is your livelihood, Jeff. Come on! I forgot that I'm single handedly murdering cinema. You're single handedly murdering cinema by not giving this person more money. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, but you remember job, how? <laughs> do you remember how uh, everyone wants to watch things at double speed because there's too much to watch? Sure. Remember that? <laughs> I do remember Painful that. Price, watch at double speed. You know, the creator still gets the money. It's fine. Yeah. The movie is I Pastafari, a flying spaghetti monster story. It's available on video on demand for purchase right now. Great title. Uh, all right, let's move on in the show. Uh, we want to thank people who donated to the podcast this week. Sharif from San Francisco writes in with his donation. Hello, Slash Filmcast. I've been listening to you guys since 2013. So this donation is shamefully long overdue. Between Jeff's limericks, David's Boom Goes the Dynamite jokes, and Devendra's defense of Chappie, you guys feel like old friends who I can count on for honest and humorous discussion every week. With this, I was hoping you guys would give a shout out to my friend Ali, who introduced me to the show way back. Ali and I have bonded over movies back in college, and we still to this day continue our tradition of talking Oscar picks and bickering over our summer movie wager. He and his lovely wife, Liz, just had their first baby. I can only imagine how difficult it must be taking care of a baby in the middle of a pandemic in New York, but I know he has you guys to keep company and educate on all the new dad movies he needs to start paying attention to. You definitely (laughs) helped me stay sane during these past few months. Thank you for the endless entertainment, and keep up the good work. Oh, that's Yay. great. Congratulations, that comes, Ali and wife. Yeah, that's rats. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Lloyd Case writes in with his donation. Uh, thank a longtime listener, first time donor. Tell Jeff to hang in there if he doesn't want a cat. A miniature dachshund is hell on mice and rats. Again, more <laughs> animals is not the solution to less animals. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. You know, Although, this, uh, I did grow up with a dachshund, and they are adorable. This guy's mention of Chappy, by the way, reminds me. Have you guys heard of this? Uh, this Hollywood auction for props that's happening in the next couple yes. weeks. Yes. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Yeah. There's a massive au- auction going on. It's called the Entertainment Memor- Memorabilia Live Auction in Los Angeles. Uh, treasures from film and television. This auction's happening on August 26th and 27th. Um, and if, if, you, if you Google it, you'll see the catalog online. There is some incredible stuff. There is What should we all go in on together as a family? The, what should we do? The <laughs> replica, the, the scale model of the Nostromo, I believe, from Alien is up That's there. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. There's a the lot reason, of The stuff. reason I bring this up is because there is a full-size Chappie uh, in, oh this, in this uh, in this auction. It's, full-size it's lot, Chappie. Lot 155. Full-size Chappie, title character robot with replica head. What is what is uh, the cost? How much? Uh, uh, okay, I'll, let me read, read the well, description. it's an auction, okay. Okay. right? So you don't yeah. know. A full-size Chappie, title character robot with replica head from Neil Blomkamp's dystopian sci-fi <laughs> film Chappie. Damaged human-like law enforcement robot Chappie, played by Charlotte Copley, fell into the hands of a group of gangsters. The film featured a number of Tetraval police scout robots, and title character Chappie had the unique designation number 22. <laughs> uh, he was designed and created by Weta Workshop for the film and features a huge number of design components. Uh, end quote. Anyway, you, you guys, uh, I would, goes into I would detail. love to own Chappie. Esti- I am not estimated, joking. Estimated cost of Chappie. Okay, so it, it gives you an estimate of uh-huh. how much it's going to go for. I'm guessing. What do you guys think is the estimated cost of Chappie? $30,000. $30, estimate between ten dollars and $15,000. Mm. Okay, that's fair. Devinder, you're an order of magnitude too low here, man. A, l- a little uh, bit, but I, uh, listen, I have a Chappie brand. I really have to keep it up, and it's I would true. love Chappie in the background of all my like video shots. It'd be amazing. It's that would true. be pretty. And that would be pretty cool background swag. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff. There's incredible in this stuff here. I, I have to be honest. Like I have considered potentially putting in a bid for some of these things. Yeah. Um. One of the o- objects that I was thinking of, but like it's a terrible idea, and I should not do it. And don't <laughs> assume I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm just saying. Hey, I fantasize a little bit about doing this. Is the soap from Fight Club? Oh my god! Um, so there is a film poster soap bar made for the promotion of David Fincher's Fight Club, and uh, you, you guys know he holds a soap, a bar of soap that says "Fight." It's like Fight Club is like uh-huh. etched into the soap itself, right? Uh, estimated cost two to three thousand dollars. That's not bad. I, I, I told my wife about this possible Fight Club soap <laughs> I was going to maybe bid on, and she said. Uh, <laughs> then she she looked down at her phone. She punched some things in, and she showed me an eBay listing for a soap that looks almost identical. That's eighty dollars. <laughs> um, but and, and then I kept trying to say this is the one that was used in the poster, though. Anyway, just just a, a pro tip for anyone out there: you can get Fight Club soap that says the words Fight Club on it for much less than two to three thousand dollars. It's funny. Um, I was listening to. Um... Uh, this Week in Tech, which is a, a show that Devendra frequently guests on. Uh, and uh, and I have guested on several times as well. Um, and they were talking this last week about uh, there's an auction for the Fire Festival memorabilia as well. Yes. Good God. Well, that's from the, I think the Justice Department is doing that. So that's Exactly. Not, yeah. yeah. It's the government that seized yeah. it. <laughs> they're, they're auctioning <laughs> off. You can get 
like the actual hat from the fire festival and one of the people that was on brianna Wu said her friend wants to buy the hat it'd be like 500 dollars, and oh, they God. were they were trying to convince her like you could make the hat at any like online print store and it would be <laughs> indistinguishable <laughs> so my question to you and i think this is exactly the same thing you're talking about with fight club soap yeah is yep. Does the knowledge that it's the actual, if, even if it is indistinguishable, if it has yeah. been created in, in a perfect replica, <laughs> just does the knowledge that it's the one from the thing mean enough to you that that you would you would pay that much more? I, I so the it, answer the answer in general is yes. However, yeah. the problem with the Fight Club soap specifically <laughs> is that it wasn't actually in the movie. You know what yes. I mean? Like it was part of Who the marketing it? for the movie. Yeah. Right. So it's like, uh, like, do I really care that much about the marketing for the movie? You know what I mean? And uh, but the, the reason I gravitated towards the soap too, by the way, is that um, my current house is not built to display like Michael Corleone's suit from <laughs> Godfather Two. You know what I'm saying? Um, so like a soap is the only one of the only yes. things I feel like I could put in a case and like Just, it needs know, a whole wall all it, to yeah, itself. I, 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 yeah. So. Uh, but anyway, the There's, answer to your question, Jeff, is mostly yes. I would say. Yeah, Do you, you will get because... a certificate of authenticity, and you could resell this thing like later to an yeah. even bigger yeah. Fight Club plan. Yeah, there you go. Is it because is it because uh, it's a piece of history that w- was in a moment that is historical and important to you, or is it because there's only one of them and you've got it? All I think it's above. more like yeah. I, I think it's more like I really want to wash myself with this soap. Mm. I feel <laughs> yeah. you should not own this soap then. You've <laughs> never felt clean it. in your life and you can finally feel clean. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. Uh, anyway. Guys, uh, check guys, out this Robin Williams sword from Hook, which is a thing I would love to own. Twelve thousand to sixteen thousand dollars estimate. I would yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And, and anything else strike your fan? I mean, there's so much. Wolverine's bone claws mm. from the 2009 James Mangled Wolverine is in here. You know, like that's pretty. That's pretty good. Tom Cruise's Maverick uh, pilot helmet, fifty thousand to seventy thousand. That's pretty high. Yeah, oh, pretty man. High. I'm, just, I'm just pulling this up now. Yeah, it's just so much good stuff here. Anyway, wow, monkey skull <laughs> from 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yep, H- Helen Hunt's coveralls from the movie <laughs> Twister. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that survived that movie. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of stuff here. If you're thinking of putting in a bid, slash filmcast gmail.com, let us know. A yep. miniature of the Airwolf helicopter? Yep. yep. From Airwolf? <laughs> slash filmcast gmail.com, let us know if you're putting in a bid. And uh, now so that a lot of Terminator 2 stuff in, in here, head. too. A lot yep. of Terminator 2 stuff. That's really, that's pretty compelling. Okay. A lot of alien stuff. Sorry, um, now you guys have got me looking through this. We can move on. More donations. Uh, Donald McCoy, Thomas Lane from Helsinki, Finland, and a donation on behalf of Beavis Bowen, I think Mm. it was. Uh, Dan Kleinberg donated, and also Bridget M. writes from Arlington, Massachusetts, my old stomping grounds. My husband, Paul, has terrible taste in podcasts that he's always pushing on me. That's the whole message. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Um, She goes on. Yours is the exception. A respite from the others. I was hoping you could wish him a happy 40th birthday. Given Dave's history of these shout-outs, perhaps a happy 41st as well, just to be safe. I hope Talking we about the fact time. that I sometimes am a little bit late to the trigger on uh, these shout-outs. But if you want to <laughs> donate to the Slash Filmcast, you can always donate to us by going to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast. Oh, sorry. One other donation. Um... 
someone named Tuck Frump donated. Uh, P.S. We all fall down. Uh, so take with mm-hmm. take from that what you will. All right, Jeff, write uh, that script. Come on, we all pitch. fall down. Come on, pay, PayPal.me slash filmcast. That's PayPal.me slash filmcast. Never donate if it in any way causes you any hardship whatsoever. But if you want to throw some cash our way, we'd really appreciate it. You can always start a, a, subscri- a subscription to the slash filmcast as well by going to slash film.com, click on the slash filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the on the side of the page. Before we get to our review, we're doing a new segment this week. Rather than put all the links to stuff that we're involved in at the end of the show, we're going to do weekly plugs. Every week, we're going to plug one thing that we think you should check out. It could be something we made. It could be something something else made. Let's do weekly plugs this week before we get to our review. Uh, so I, I'll start off with a weekly plug. Uh, on one of my other podcasts, Culturally Relevant, I did an interview with Mike Biffle, who created hit games such as Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex. Yeah. Uh, and Interesting guy. I t- talked with him about his uh, process writing Thomas Was Alone and uh, making John Wick Hex, and it was a great conversation. Check it out at Culturally Relevant, wherever your podcast can be downloaded. That's my weekly plug this week. What about you, Devendra? Uh, I recently did an episode of the Engadget podcast about the big tech congressional antitrust hearing that happened last week. Um, we dove into kind of like, yeah, everything going on there. Uh, why specifically Apple, Google, and everybody was called up and, uh, maybe Microsoft should have been there too. So I feel like we had a really good chat. Be sure to check out that episode with me and my co-host, Trillin Lowe. That's the Engadget podcast. And yeah, I, I think I saw my boss testify at that thing. Um, also yeah. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. All of our bosses. It turns out the bosses <laughs> of the world were there. Um, <laughs> It seems like every week I get a tweet at some point during the week of somebody going, wait a minute, we have concerns is back? Yes. Yes, We have concerns is back. The award-winning comedy science podcast that I do with Anthony Carboni. Uh, We did it for four years. Like I said, won awards. And then uh, we stopped. Now it's back. We brought it back. And uh, it's been going on for several months now, back in a new format, longer form. And this last week, we had a guest on Dr. Kiki Sanford. I'm sure lots of people know Dr. Kiki. She's amazing, so brilliant. She is a neurophysiologist, a uh, a science communicator. She does This Week in Science. Brilliant, smart person. We have done over 600 episodes of our science podcast, and it's the first time we had a scientist on. So, you know, new ground for us. (laughs) Uh, It's a very funny, fun show. She is delightful. Uh, surprising no one, but also bringing some wonderful positivity uh, and uh, and and optimism, truly, to science and the science stories we're talking about. We talked about the CRISPR and what it means to be able to edit our DNA. Uh, and I highly recommend you checking out We Have Concerns. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. And that episode is is episode uh, 600 and something. I can't find the number. Anyway, it's uh, it's the most recent episode. All right, that's We Have Concerns. That's our weekly plugs for this week. Let's get to our review of Relic. When was the last time you spoke to her? It's been a few weeks. Gran? Mom? She called me a few weeks ago. I think she was scared. 
she thought someone was coming into the house. Do you know where you were, Mum? I suppose I went out. What's this? I was on the property when your grandfather inherited it. His mind wasn't there in the end. That was from the trailer for Relic, the new film out on video on demand. Uh, you can rent it right now. Uh, and it was directed by Natalie Erica James. It was her first film. Amazing. Uh, and yeah, yeah. An amazing accomplishment, in my opinion. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A daughter, mother, and grandmother are haunted by a manifestation of dementia that consumes their family home. Devendra Hardwar, your thoughts on Relic? Uh, I, I absolutely love this movie. It is astonishingly creepy. I think a really well-told story of a family that's dealing with dementia, like like, you know, they're dealing with an older family member having dementia, not quite understanding how to cope with that. But the way this movie expresses it is in like true horror movie fashion. And I don't think, um, I feel like if this was done badly, it could be something like uh, maybe more like the Shyamalan thing, you know, the visit where an older person having an illness just seeming creepy for no reason could be exploitive. But I don't think that's it. Like, to me, this movie is just like a, it is a beautiful horror exploration of this theme. And we'll definitely talk about like the ending and everything. But as a horror movie, it worked well for me because I feel like it did a great job of setting up these really creepy moments. And just, uh, there aren't really set pieces, but every moment it feels like there is looming dread in this movie and to me that is that's my favorite kind of horror movie that's like the ring that's the shining that's so so many different things um yeah i loved it completely and man i want to see emily mortimer in more things too especially like genre things like this because she is fantastic as always jefferson canada your thoughts on relic well dave I guess you could say my thoughts about Relic are best summed up in the form of a limerick. You guys are not going to like this. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. <laughs> At least Avengers not. Uh, <laughs> I thought 90 minutes was quick until I watched this flick. It's vague and it's dull, and I'm racking my skull to e- even get why it's titled Relic. Wow, oh, man, Jeff, mm. Jeff, it's, I, it's rough. I, and the did. one thing you can't com- really complain about is the title. But okay, we'll talk about that in spoilers. I guess, uh, as uh, boy, yeah. this movie did not work for me mm. at all. Uh, th- this is an eighty-nine minute movie, I believe, and sixty of those minutes, it, nothing happens other than something that's mildly annoying or uh you know there's mild strangeness it's a it's a sad thing that we you know i get it i it's sad that dementia is a horrible thing uh and getting old is a horrible thing it's a sad thing uh a horror movie it is not until the last 20 minutes um and i found this completely lugubrious dull um 
it, it, you know, one of the things I love about the horror genre, I, I grew up reading Stephen King because, and, and this is like, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, loved that genre because it was supernatural stuff in present day, right? That's, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of Star Wars, which I loved. There was a lot of sci-fi things that I read as well. There was a lot of fantasy, but the only people that were really doing supernatural in modern times and in normal everyday life were horror writers. At least that was my experience. And sure. so I got really into horror as a, as a genre at that age, because I loved I loved that expression of fantasy, of sci-fi, of of this this magical storytelling that had rules and had you know had an interesting um, lore and mythos about it. It was it was always such an interesting look at the supernatural, and I that's what I like about horror movies. I'm not a horror fan per se these days. Uh, I don't seek out horror movies the way some of my friends do. Uh, but when I find great horror movies like The Orphanage, for example, mm-hmm. or, you know, there's a number of great horror films that that, that I love or um, um, uh, what's uh, Jordan Peele's first movie? Um, get Out. Yeah. Get Out. Yeah. Uh, great, great movies uh, in the horror genre, I think. I What I love about them is is how they express their supernaturalness. Right. And I just and perhaps that's my bias. Uh, that that's what I'm looking for when I hunker down for a horror movie is like an interesting supernatural tale. And I understand that this movie is more of a, an, an allegory or a metaphor, sure. uh, but it just didn't hold together on the most fundamental level for me. I just, I, I wasn't compelled by it. None of the rules mattered. It, 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 it was just doing some stuff and most of it wasn't particularly very interesting to me. Um, and despite some, I think, lovely performances and I don't know, it, it, I just at no point, I think the end, which we will talk about is actually the most interesting moment of the entire movie, but it doesn't earn it. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't, it, it, if it was like this short story that had that ending, I think it would be more compelling, but it feels like a padded experience, even at 89 minutes, it just did not work at all for me. Sorry. I'm sorry you didn't like it, Jeff. Um, I was a pretty big fan of this movie. I have to say, uh, I really appreciated the the texture of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when I think of movies that have texture, I'm I'm referring kind of in a literal way to the production design and like the actual sets they used or the locations that they shot at. And uh, it felt to me like very little CG was used in this movie. I mean, it feels like a pretty low-budget movie. And so it fe- whether or not it's true, it feels like a lot of the effects are practical. And uh, I love like how this world looks and how they're able to convey the ideas of death and decay. Um, there's a lot of like black in the movie, like black spots everywhere, mildewy yeah. spots. Black mold that, type things, yeah. Yeah, mold, and it's just like the human eye kind of recoils at that understanding that it's like unhealthy or it's not, it's certainly not living and vibrant what's what's there. Um, another movie that comes to mind when I think of like texture is Goodnight Mommy. I don't know if you guys have seen that horror yeah. film, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just where you really feel like the filmmaker is immersing you in the sights and sounds of this place and uh, I, I definitely got that from Relic. I definitely felt like uh, I was in this extremely terrifying situation. Mm-hmm. 
And I appreciated the central metaphor of it too, right? Which is this idea that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about death recently, right? I mean, I, I mean, I like when um, these conversations start. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I think of Caden Cotard from uh, Synecdoche, New York, mm-hmm. uh, the Charlie Kaufman movie, and he says this line in the middle of the movie. He says, "Quote: I will, I will be dying." And so will you, and so will everyone here. That's what I want to explore. We're all hurtling towards death, yet here we are for the moment, alive, each of us knowing we're going to die, each of us secretly believing we won't, end quote. And that's a really powerful thought about like how many of us go through life um, uh, perceiving our lives, perceiving our lives in relation to other people, mm-hmm. and we're all the, the kind of the center of our own story, and and. What I'm struck by when I watch a movie like Relic is a person, a human being, is is the accumulation of uh, experiences, of memories, of tendencies, uh, of attitudes, um, moods, and what happens when all of those change, right? Like what happens when all those things are taken away from you? Um, what happens when you get dementia or Alzheimer's and and all those things that we used to know of as fundamentally you are gone. Mm-hmm. Like, are you the same person? Are you a different person? And I think that's what Relic gets at. This idea of um, when someone ages, they lose many of those things that we know them from. And it, it, to their loved ones, they feel like they're becoming a stranger. And uh, there's something terrifying about that. I think that like... yeah. You know, th- this movie is exploring that anxiety of like, you're living with this person, you've loved this person for decades, and then they become a stranger. A stranger, yeah. not only a stranger that you don't know, but a stranger that could harm you because you don't know them, right? And it feels like and, death in slow motion in many ways too, right? Like the the actual person you knew and loved is not there anymore. And I think... I've seen some criticisms against this movie where the the central metaphor is too blunt and too obvious. And mm-hmm. sure, sure, I get that. But I think the the way, like you're saying, the texture of how it explores that, just the idea of living in this decaying house yeah, and house. dealing it's, the house itself. The house and is a character, you could say. No, it's I'm not uh, going to Yeah, imagine <laughs> that. But also like the way it infects this family dynamic between, you know, three different generations. Like I found that all endlessly compelling. I, I really love this movie. I think you should check it out. Um, and I will say that like I watched it at, at night with a oh, yeah. good, good sound system, decent TV, you know. And uh, that's a great way to enjoy it because I think like horror movies, they rely on really good sound design and uh, to scare you. Um, so I, I, I'd recommend you try to get some isolation when you watch this movie. Mm-hmm. There, there are really com- jump scares. I, I will say that. So don't worry about that. But there are great like creepy scares. Like, there are just a handful, like, there are a handful that, of jump scares. That should not be in that frame right now, but it's all happening very slowly. And But to me, that is scarier than a jump scare. My one complaint about this movie is that I didn't really buy the relationship between Emily Mortimer's character, Kay, and her daughter, mm-hmm. Sam, played by Bella Heathcote. I just, I, I think part of it is a casting situation. I believe the age difference between those two people is 16 years. And to me, I, like, I, for quite a while, I thought they were sisters, right? Like, because. They're not that far apart in age, and also they don't. 
it didn't really strike me as a mother daughter relationship. And, and I maybe that's the point is that like, oh, they have such an atypical relationship because they treat each other like they're both kind of on the same level, you know. But sure. or, uh, or she could have had her very young or something like. But yeah, yeah, I it's but I, I didn't I didn't get any of that in the text of the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like I yeah. So if you're gonna make a point with that, I f- feel like they didn't succeed, and then. And then as a result, we're left with two characters who look like pretty similar in age who are supposed to be mother-daughter. I understand what the movie's trying to do in terms of um, conveying like generational trauma from mm-hmm. what's happening, but it didn't really work for me. That said, you know, completely randomly, I've, I watch GQ's YouTube channel, mm-hmm. um, and they have this thing where they have like actors and directors go on the channel or interesting people and like, here's, my, here's me talking about the various roles of my career. They had Russell Crowe do it recently, and it's very. These are all very fascinating, and I'd recommend you watch them all. Um, but it's uh, Russell Crowe is talking about how he, he got the role for The Insider. He was thirty something years old. He was playing a dude in his fifties. Yep. And it's like, and I thought he did a great job in that movie. But you know, he, when Michael Mann met him to talk about it, you know, he uh, Russell Crowe said to Michael Mann, like, I don't know why you're talking to me. I'm way too young for this role, and. Michael Mann's like, I don't care how old you are. Like, I see something in you that like you can bring this character alive. You make this character alive. And so, at the same time as I'm saying, like, I, I didn't really buy the mother daughter relationship because, and part of that is age difference. I don't want to say that like it's impossible to to make that happen, um, be, even if you have people who aren't the the perfect ages for your characters. Right. Right. Uh, I just don't know that it succeeded in this particular. Case. I mean, so, I, I bought I bought it in as much as like it was just very very strained. And I was trying to figure out like what is what happened between them. Like she clear she seems like the young daughter who doesn't quite live up to her mom's expectations, I guess, or who is kind of screwing up and her mom is kind of a little more orderly. Like I that's what I was deconstructing. So that it worked for me on that level and seeing how they try to come together to take care of, you know, the, yeah. the grandmother. Like that that was the union. And it did kind of bring them together in a way, but uh yeah, we'll talk about that ending. There is so there's so little in of the mother daughter. It's it just it felt like they could have been sisters, and I don't know that the movie would have been impacted right, that much, right. other than the metaphor that the movie's trying to get across, which is about generational trauma. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's get to spoilers for Relic starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want. Work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Um, okay, so spoilers for Relic. Uh, let's talk about the ending. I actually uh, wasn't a huge fan of the ending. I thought it mm-hmm. it kind of went on for a little bit. It shifts. Yeah. It, they're like, oh, it, it, now we're just going full blown supernatural. Like they're trapped in this weird ass house. Uh, you know, in a, but in a it, maze, it, it, it was a, it was a creepy like thing where like, oh man, you like, guys, I just moved into a house that is you know larger <laughs> than anywhere I've ever lived, and there are rooms here, there are nooks <laughs> where I don't I don't know where they go, you know, like there's right next to my office, there is like this long room uh, that I think is leading to like some of the water supply or something, and there's like an Ethernet cable that's sitting through my wall that's trailed through that room, but the the area to navigate that is about like one foot wide so for me to like get to the other end of this like corridor i'd have to like really squeeze through a lot of stuff i don't know what's there who knows what's there 
there's yeah there's stuff in this attic i don't know like to when it gets to that point where it's just like oh man that room shouldn't be there why why does this exist this house is not up to code clearly (laughs) um that to me felt creepy on a on a certain level but then yeah then it becomes like oh okay we are going full swing into this is how this movie is representing the supernatural you know type of it it's actually like changing the physical environment yeah and by the end like it is um i think the whole ending scene you know it's straight up uh like it reminded me a lot of annihilation of a very Mm. like visually poetic way of exploring what's actually happening uh because they go straight from you know being chased by the grandmother to okay they i guess hurt her a lot and emily mortimer's character just can't leave her alone I think that whole final sequence is it is it does come out of nowhere a little bit, but I think it is ultimately moving in terms of what it's representing. Like that whole aspect of her peeling off her mother's skin to reveal somebody else entirely and loving her anyway. Like that is that's beautiful. Yeah. um, So Natalie Arca James gave an interview to Inverse where she talks about the ending and she says that the peeling of Edna's skin is a metaphor for Kay's acceptance of her mother in the grips of late stage Alzheimer's um, Mm -hmm. quote from James, the peeling away of the skin is a real acceptance of how much she's changed. In a sense, she's helping to ease her load. What I think is the only thing that's scary in this film is the actual transformation and the grief and violence that comes from that. In her final form, she's very fragile and very vulnerable. That reflects how a lot of us are at the end of our lives. It's harrowing to see people who have kind of wasted away and are close to death In helping Edna transform. It is a full embracing of the fact that it's still her mother End quote. Jeff, did the ending do anything for you, or were you just like off the? You were off the movie train at that point. No, I said uh, the ending was the only part of the movie I liked. Um, Which is like peeling off the skin, right? Yeah, I thought everything after I'm going to go back in. Uh, I thought the the sort of chase through the house, through the the out the chimney wall thing. I, I just none of that I found. Pretty, I was never I mean, ne- never scared by this movie. I just. I, but I loved everything after she goes back in because it is it is a beautiful yeah, yeah it's very beautiful that was it's just a, like five minutes though so you love five minutes of this movie I love five <laughs> minutes of the eighty nine yeah the yeah. the the expression I mean it is it is heart wrenching this thing that anybody that is close to their parents is likely to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not Alzheimer's in particular, but just the idea of watching them die. Uh, to be quite li- frank, uh, and and that that the tenderness with which she lays down and holds her mother. I mean, that is something that is hard for me to even talk about uh, as a as a metaphor because I, yep, you know, the idea of having to do that with my own parents at some point is just so. So heart-wrenching. Uh, and it's, it's a beautiful moment. It is it is beautifully shot. It is exquisite. And this, like, husk, this this thing that her mother is, that is she's still able to sort of hold it and be close to it and know that there was some connection to something that she was, um, I found very moving. Very moving. I didn't think we needed to go through half the stuff that happens in the movie to get there. I didn't think that all of the things that we experience actually make that moment any better or more interesting. Uh, I just felt like the movie is grinding its wheels until that moment. I felt like that five minutes is really says everything this movie wants to say and doesn't need any of the setup to get there. It's just, Mm -hmm. it it just, I don't know. I felt the movie felt padded 
even at a short runtime, because there's so little that matters up until hey, I, I, I got to disagree opinion. there, Jeff, because like, yeah, this movie is ending on acceptance, but there are stages that lead to acceptance, you know? And to me, like even, even the running through the house and them like treating her as like a monster where she is, you know, she's a fragile older woman. Like, I'm not sure how she all of a sudden had like semi super strength or something, but metaphorically what it is, is like, you know, them, them being afraid of what she's turning into and, you know, the grandmother lashing out, which can happen with somebody who's confused, um, oh, sure. you know, an older person who's confused and doesn't know what to do. And they may be a danger to somebody and they don't quite know it. It could be when they're driving. It could just be like the way they react to somebody who walks into their room and they don't recognize their granddaughter anymore or their own daughter. It's like, yeah, it's all metaphorical. It's not like, it's not even like particularly subtle about it because like there is a moment of rage of raging against like what she's actually feeling. It, it There are the moments of them trying to like really come to terms with what the grandmother is dealing with. And the whole chase sequence I found kind of fascinating too, because it does also end in like a sort of um, a rebirth sequence. Like they're, they're going through that wall, you know, of their family yeah. house. Like they are, they are reemerging in a different way than they were before. Um, and they come just, through where somebody would usually hang a family yeah. portrait. They're you know? coming yeah. through the hearth of the home. Yeah. You know, like this, uh, yeah, the, uh, the imagery in this movie is so effective, um, which is why, yeah, it certainly lingers on certain shots. Like certain things take time. Even that whole opening sequence of following, you know, the flooded bathtub, which again, right now that would be a horror story to me. Um, like it's, it is creepy in a way and visually like intriguing in a way. Like that's why this movie works for me, but I wouldn't say it's empty. It's just like the ideas it's exploring, like, okay, like maybe you don't like, you're not into the way it's exploring, you know, a family wrestling through dementia. I feel that, but I don't think it's empty. Not at all. Fair enough. Um, one thing I want to point out about the ending is um, something that I was reminded of by Vincenzo Natale, who's been a guest a couple of times on the Slash Filmcast. Mm -hmm. He made a movie called Splice, a horror film, which, by the way, has been tearing its way up Netflix charts recently. Gotta love it. Who, it's so crazy. You know, that movie was a complete bomb when it came out, uh, box office-wise. Not with us, I, baby. Not we with us. I was a huge it. fan of that movie, but <laughs> the American public did not appreciate it. Then, like, a decade later... You know, it's on Netflix and millions of people watch it. Like, who can Vindication predict the, for Vincenzo? Can, <laughs> I hope he feels it. I hope he feels it um, because we love him here on the podcast. But anyway, um, <laughs> he was saying how uh, when he was making Splice and there was a character in Splice called Dren, uh, very cool creature effects. And she has these kind of weird feet, like these weird legs. And he was saying how in, in horror films... It's very easy to be additive. It's very hard to be subtractive. You know, like you mm -hmm. can add blood, you can add on like a thing growing out of your face or whatever. It's hard to take away something. And I was thinking of that when uh, Emily Mortimer's character was like peeling off the layers of skin from her mom and she still recognizably looks like her mom's face. Mm -hmm. I was like, how did they, uh, Robin Nevin, I believe is the actress who plays her. It's like, how did they do this? You know, like, did they have like a mini? Like, did was it was it like animatronic or it was looks, it? CG? It looks like robotic or something, yeah, it looked or like even puppet -like. It's just like, wow, yeah. this is like a fairly low budget movie. Um, uh, but they were able to like get an animatronic Robin Nevin head. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that that um, effect was 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 really because um, it well looks done. like it yeah. looks like her. It looks mm -hmm. like a shrunken down version of her. 
Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, how do they? Yeah. Anyway, it's it's really impressive, and just wanted to call that out. Um, but yeah, the the ending part it, it did drag on a little bit for me. It's like okay, like we this yeah. is not the most interesting part of the movie, right? Where <laughs> she's like in the movie, she's like, oh my gosh, all the wall the the walls and the doors are everywhere. The, you know, the daughter like, is stuck in the house for like yeah, fifteen she, minutes. Yeah, she's stuck in the house for, for like fifteen. It's like I don't care about any of this. <laughs> like it's the uh, everything else. Like you know the when she's in the closet and like the plastic bag starts breathing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was incredible. There's this moment actually that I really appreciated. Right where she uh, Emily Mortimer's character calls out to her mom, and the mom looks like she's walking away from her, but then. She, it reveals that she's actually facing her. Do yes. Oh, yeah. The man. hair and the, yeah. the hair and the like, face looks like it's the back of the head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty effective way to uh, scare people, like to weird people out. Like very low budget. You know. Very what I'm low like, budget. Also, in that scene, there is like a distinctive black shadow, like right behind Emily Mortimer's character, which you could just miss. Oh yeah. No, but I saw it. I saw it's it. It's just like, like what is thing. going on there? Like, what is? I love that. I love that in horror movie. Like to me, that that uh, get under your skin kind of creepiness is so and good. Th- it's never revealed. It's never yeah. explained what that is, right? Yeah. yeah. And of course, the the very last shot is we find out that Emily Mortimer's character also has the bruises. Right? She will also succumb in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, all three of them laying down there. It's like this this cycle. Psych- we're seeing the cycle of life. That's that is why that shot is why this movie had. Uh, a, a, you know, a grandmother, a mother, and daughter, right? Yeah. That for yeah. that shot, where mm-hmm. you have like it's like three generations, each in different stages of their life, in different stages of this affliction that they're all, or at least two of them, are going to be cursed with. Uh, and it was very effective. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful shot, um, and uh, and and very haunting. So, any other thoughts, or shall we wrap it up there? Uh, I'm good. All right, that's our thoughts on Relic. Overall, we liked it, and even Jeff, who didn't like it, uh, appreciated the ending. So maybe check it out just for the ending. Anyway, <laughs> that's going to bring us to the end of this review on the Slash Filmcast. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. This episode's theme song comes to you from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel, and this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Next week, we are going to be discussing She Dies Tomorrow, new movie by Amy Simons, right? She Dies yeah. Tomorrow. You know, the, the one thing, guys, is like there was that movie that was released that was made on Zoom or something, right? Yes, it does yeah. look good. Host, yeah. Maybe Host. we should Maybe we should review that in a future week, but I do think we should do She Dies Tomorrow next week. Um, so, uh, which I think has very similar themes to Relic, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, let's give it a shot, shall we? She dies tomorrow. I think we'll be out on video on demand by by next week. And if not, we'll do the Zoom movie as a backup. But that's going <laughs> to be the plan. Like, isn't that only on Shutter? The the host 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 is only on Shutter. So uh, yeah, it I is guess. a good service and worth trying out for a little bit. I'd say. All right. Well, that's it for the Slash Homecast. Until next week. Keep wearing a mask, keep staying safe, staying healthy, and being considerate of those around you. We'll see you later.